Well, good morning. We are in a series in the book of Matthew. And I encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 5 down through verse 20 of Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to read that out loud. Encourage you to follow along in your copy of the Bible. Starting to read in Matthew chapter 10 verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them. Do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans. But rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go preach saying... The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worthy of his support. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who's worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it's not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you, nor heeds your words as you go to the house of that house or of that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city." We noted last week as Jesus looked out and saw people that he felt compassion for them. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. That Israel's leadership had been hurting them, throwing them down in a sense, taking advantage of them. And so he encouraged his disciples to pray. Specifically to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out more workers into the harvest field. That mission field to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus. He then specifically listed 12 people that he commissioned to go out as apostles. Now today, in verses 5 through 20, we see the details of that commissioning. The instructions that Jesus gives to the 12. And we're going to see two weeks from today, that as we get to the end of these instructions, that Jesus' words have a broader audience than just the 12. They certainly apply to the 12. But we'll see in two weeks that Jesus' instructions for disciples and how the world will treat disciples goes beyond the 12, even to the end of the age, even to the time when Jesus will come back and set up his kingdom. So what Jesus has to say here, while applying specifically to the 12, also has application for you and for me, ultimately, for all of Jesus' witnesses, disciples called to be his witnesses. And one of the things that we'll see is that when people see Christ in you, when people see Christ in me, when people see Christ lived out in the lives of Jesus' disciples, 
If they hate Christ, they will hate you. Because they see Christ in you. And so Jesus, while reminding his 12 of their calling, also warns them that this calling is not easy. But with that warning, he reminds all of us that he will always be with us. He is there to help. One of the things that I am more and more convinced of today is that those who live on the cutting edge of the battle that wages in our culture are our students. Students live on the cutting edge. My wife works in a public high school. School is not the same today as it was 40 years ago when I was in high school. And uh, quite frankly, I went to a really rough high school and it was nothing compared to what our students face today. Much of which is anti-God in its emphasis. And yet every fall, students here at Faith Bible Church are leaders in an effort throughout the metro area to gather around their flagpole in September and pray for their school. That takes guts. That's not easy to do. And every time I see that and every time I hear of reports of our students actually sharing their faith in Jesus with those around them, it encourages my heart because they are on the cutting edge. It's not easy being a Jesus follower in that setting. In our middle schools, our high schools, our universities, it's not easy. And Jesus here in these verses tells his disciples, it's not easy. It will be difficult, but I am with you. Now, as this section begins in chapter 10, verses 5 through 15, we see Jesus sending out the 12 to carry out his ministry and also to rely on God as they do it. You'll notice with me in verse 5, it says, These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them. And so we're going to see in the verses following a list of instructions that Jesus gives the 12 as he has commissioned them to go out into ministry. And the first thing he tells them to do in verses 5 and 6 seems a little awkward to us. Because he tells them what not to do and where not to go. He says, don't go to the Gentiles and don't go to the Samaritans. Remember, uh, Israelites hated the Samaritans. They were the result of the peoples of the northern kingdom, the northern tribes of Israel, who were taken captive by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians displaced people of influence, people of wealth, and took them out of that, those northern, the northern region of Israel. But they left the poor there. Then they brought foreign peoples in who intermarried with the poor that were left behind. And so the result were people who were not pure Israelites, plus 
they had a religion that the people in the southern tribes considered defiled because it was a mixing of foreign religion in with Israel's religion. And we find Jesus saying to the 12, don't go to the Samaritans, don't go to the Gentiles. Now, that's not because Jesus did not care about those people. It's not because Jesus does not love Gentiles. In fact, we know that's not true because from the beginning of our Bibles to the end of our Bibles, we know that God has a heart for all peoples. That men and women and boys and girls from every tribe and tongue and nation would come and enter the kingdom and be God's children. We see it right from the beginning of our Bibles in God's promises to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 verse 3 when we read, I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. The prophets in the Old Testament talk much about the fact that the nations will come to and enter the kingdom. And in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 3, we see such an example when it says, Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Even in, in the end of the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, we read Jesus' words when he commissions us, the church, to go and make disciples of all the nations. So Jesus here is not saying that he doesn't care about Gentiles. What he's doing is in a sense fulfilling those Old Testament promises. That go clear back to 2 Samuel chapter 7 and before. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7. God promises David that his descendant will sit on David's throne forever and ever. And one of his descendants will be king and will reign over God's kingdom of righteousness forever and ever. And that king will be known as the son of God. Israel started recognizing this king as Messiah, which is the Hebrew word that means anointed one. And so we find that Jesus here in telling the disciples to go first to Israel to stay in Galilee is showing that before all of that blessing can come upon the Gentiles to its fullest extent, Israel's king must first be enthroned upon David's throne over God's kingdom. Therefore, the message that the kingdom is near must first go to Israel. And so Jesus is simply saying, bring this message of good news of the kingdom to Israel first. And in going, he gives them some instruction. Notice verses 7 and 8 are basically saying, you are to carry out the same ministry that Jesus has been carrying out. We saw Jesus' ministry described in chapter 4, verse 23, and chapter 9, verse 35. Here in verses 7 and 8, 
Jesus tells the 12, you're going to be my representatives. You're going to be carrying out the same ministry. As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely give. And as he's told them those marching orders, he's then going to tell them, as you go, depend on me and me alone. God will take care of you and God will use his people to provide for your needs. You don't have to worry about taking care of yourself. Thus he tells them in verse 9, don't pack up a bunch of gold and silver and copper for your money belts as you head out on the journey. Instead, you're going to depend on God's people to provide for you. Notice verse end of verse 10. For the worker is worthy of his support. So he tells them, you go from village to village and find someone who is worthy. And in these verses, that person would be one who recognizes that the 12 are representatives of Jesus. In welcoming one of the 12, they're welcoming Jesus himself. In welcoming one of Jesus' disciples, they are saying that they welcome Jesus and they welcome Jesus' message. If somebody rejects them, Jesus says, take off your sandal and shake off the dust. It's a symbol of saying you have rejected Jesus and Jesus' message because you've rejected Jesus' messenger. And in shaking off the dust, it's saying you stand in your rejection of the good news. And because you've rejected the good news, all that you have ahead of you is judgment. So we find verse 15 says, truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So here was Jesus' word to the twelve. I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And in going, I want you to depend on my provision for you. Trust that I will take care of all of your needs as you serve me. Many, many years ago, when I first became a pastor, I served a church in the Red River Valley of North Dakota between Fargo and Grand Forks. And we were really close to the Minnesota border. One Sunday, a a couple from Ada, Minnesota came to our church. And they started attending our church for a few weeks. And this couple came up to me after one service and said, we need a church like this in Ada, Minnesota. Because in Ada, Minnesota at the time, they did not have a church that preached the gospel, that talked about Jesus being God who died on the cross as payment for our sin and rising from the dead. They didn't preach that you could become right with God by putting your trust in the person of Jesus Christ. And so I agreed to start coming and spending time with them. So on Sunday nights, I would drive the 40 miles from my house over to Ada, Minnesota, and I started doing a Bible study with them on what is the church and what's the function of the church, what's the purpose of the church. And I met with them six or eight times. And when I was done, one of my mentors, a guy named Bob Sawstrom, who lived in Grand Forks, North Dakota, took over from me and he led that Bible study to a point that that Bible study ended up becoming a church in Ada, Minnesota. 
And the church where I was and the church in Grand Forks, North Dakota and a church in New Folden, Minnesota all provided support so this new church could get going all because one couple said, we recognize a need. We need the Bible preached in this community. And they didn't have a lot of resources. They had a home that they could open up. It's interesting that once the church was getting ready to get started, they realized that they couldn't be part of that church because they did not agree theologically with the, where the, the church stand was. But God still used them in a very powerful way. And because they were willing to simply take a step of faith and trust him for the resources, God used them. And here, Jesus is telling the 12, I've given you a commission, a charge. I want you to just step out in faith. I want you to start going and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. I'll take care of your needs. Now, I want to take a moment here and talk about verses 8. About verse 8. Because this is sometimes confusing for us today when the 12 were told to heal the sick raise the dead cleanse the lepers cast out demons why do we not stress that today here at faith bible church and there's reason for that and i want to just give a simple overview of why we don't stress that today we believe that that was a commission that was specifically for these 12 apostles Remember, we have seen Jesus doing all of these things. And the Old Testament, in multiple passages, foretold and said that Messiah would do these things. That Messiah would restore sight to the blind. That Messiah would give hearing to the deaf. And so as Jesus performed these miracles, raising someone from the dead, it showed that he was the Messiah. Now Jesus sends out the twelve. And tells them, you are my emissaries. You are my representatives. And you, I want you to carry on the same ministry that I have carried on. You too are to give sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. You are to raise people from the dead. Why do we not do that at Faith Bible Church? One of the things that we see in the New Testament is that that commission that God through the person of Jesus Christ, gave to the 12, was a commission specifically for those apostles. One of the reasons for that is to authenticate their message because the New Testament, as we have it now, was not yet written. Now we have the powerful, complete word of God. And the biblical authors tell us that the scriptures are powerful. They can permeate someone's soul and and convict us of our need for a savior. But at the time of the ministry of the apostles, the scriptures were not yet complete. And so Jesus equipped the twelve to carry on this specific ministry to authenticate that specific message. I want to show you a few verses that I think help support this truth. The first set of verses reminds us that not just anybody is an apostle. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 1, verses 21 through 26, we are in a section where the 11 remaining apostles after Judas' death realize that they need to have a 12th apostle. 
They believe that Jesus is coming back soon. They believe they have a special role in the kingdom. And in Acts 1, they put forward two men, one of which should be a new apostle. And they list some of the qualifications here for who or what qualifies a person to be an apostle. And in verse 21, it says, Therefore, it's necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So in order to be an apostle, one needed to be a person who actually was with Jesus, who witnessed his resurrection. Secondly, we have two different passages of scripture that show us that these sign gifts, giving sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, raising someone from the dead, are specifically designed for the apostles. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 is a passage which alludes to that. In verse 3 of Hebrews 2, it says... How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So there, he, the author of Hebrews tells us that the ones who were specifically gifted to carry out these sign gifts were those who actually heard the words of Jesus, physically heard them. Then 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, shows us that the 12 apostles are the ones who were specifically gifted with these sign gifts. 2 Corinthians 12, 12 says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. So Jesus specifically commissioned the 12 to go be his representatives and demonstrate the authenticity of their message by the same, by doing the same works that Jesus did. And they are to have confidence in heading out. Just like today, each and every one of us have a commission, and we'll study it when we get to the end of the book of Matthew, to be his witnesses. And we also have a sustaining, empowering encouragement, and that is the power of God's word. Well, Jesus sends out the 12, and he's told them, I want you to depend on me as you go. And then in verses 16 through 20, he also says, it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. And he gives them a warning. Jesus warning, warns his disciples that they will suffer, but he also promises help. When I was in middle school, uh, the church that I attended was doing some evangelism training put on by Evangelism Explosion. If you remember the I Found It campaign in the early 1970s. Well, I went through that training as a middle school kid. 
And as part of our training, we just had to go out into the neighborhood and talk to people about Jesus. And I did it. I was scared to death, but I did it. And I remember going up to this guy's house. He was in his garage. And I went through the entire uh, Campus Crusade booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws with this guy. He actually prayed to receive Christ with me in his garage. I'll never forget the first law. And the first law in the four spiritual laws was God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, I believe that. God does love us. And I can affirm that God has a wonderful plan for our lives. But that first law sounds a little bit like a vacation travel brochure, doesn't it? Hey, if I, this is going to be great. Uh, God's got a wonderful journey ahead for me. It's going to be great. It's going to be like going on vacation. Not so much. And Jesus here says, if you're my disciple, it's going to be hard. Because when people see Jesus in you, if they hate Jesus, they'll hate you. In fact, Jesus puts it this way in verse 14. I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. That sounds a little scary. He goes on and talks about the fact that they'll be hauled in front of their synagogues and whipped. Remember the early Christians did not leave the synagogue right away. They stayed as part of the Jewish faith and still worshipped in the synagogue. They'll be hauled out and whipped. He goes on to say that you are going to be taken before governors and kings. You'll be taken to court. You'll be brought before them. And then Jesus goes on to say, for my sake, as a testimony to them, the governors and kings, and to the Gentiles. It's interesting, and we'll see this in two weeks. Once we get to verse 16 and following, in two weeks we'll see in verses 21, 22 and following, that these words that Jesus shares are for the twelve. But they're expanded beyond the 12 to all of Jesus' disciples. Because Jesus is going to say, this is going to take place even up to when Jesus comes back. And as he describes this, he says, you'll be taken before these authorities for my sake, because of me. Why? As a testimony to them. You ever think about the fact that sometimes when you and I go through hard stuff... However we define that. That God's still in it. That maybe God is using that hard stuff in your life and my life. Not just because of the work he's doing in us. But maybe because of someone who's in the web of the relationship of your wife, life. Who's watching what God's doing in you. And watching how you respond to the tough stuff. It's easy to say, hey, I live for Jesus when everything is going great. It's another thing to live for Jesus when everything's not going great. And here Jesus says, you're going to be hauled into court. You're going to have to testify. But don't forget. Because it's an opportunity for you to be a witness for him. And then he reminds us that he will be with us all the time. Because he goes on and says in verses 19 and 20, when they hand you over... Do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it's not you who speak, but it is the Spirit 
of your Father who speaks in you. And we see throughout the book of Matthew that Matthew connects the Spirit of God with being a witness. In fact, even at the end, we've already referred to it, but when we get to the the Great Commission, this charge that we are to go into all the nations and make disciples, right at the end of that, Jesus says, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When Jesus commissions his followers to serve him, he always provides for us a means and a way to do it. This summer, Barbara and I are gathering with all of her siblings and all of our nieces and nephews with her mom and dad in Summit County, Colorado to celebrate their 60th wedding anniversary. And we've done this periodically uh, over the years. And a few years ago, we did that. And my brother-in-law said, let's all go for a family hike. Now, he did tell us that it was rated as a moderate hike in difficulty. I didn't quite know what that meant, but I thought, well, it's going to be somewhat difficult. I found out what moderate meant when we got to Stoneface that had cables running through it that we had to grab onto in order to get up the side of the Stoneface. And when we got to about 300 yards from the top of this trail, I kind of finally came to a point where I said, you know what? I can see really good from here. I think I'm just going to take time and enjoy the moment right from here. And I let the others go on the last 300 yards. It was tough. Now, I knew it was going to be difficult. My brother-in-law said, hey, it's not ranked. It's not rated as easy. It's rated as moderate. But sometimes we don't quite know how tough it is until we get in. And Jesus here is telling his disciples, "Um, I'm going to send you out. It's not really a vacation. In fact, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. But remember this, I'm with you. And you don't have to worry about what you're going to say when you stand out stand in front of a governor, it's, it's because the spirit of your father who speaks is in you. It's the spirit of God who will help you. Now it's interesting, as Jesus shares these words that it's going to be hard, he tells his disciples, be prudent. He says up here in verse 16, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Be prudent. Don't be mean. Don't be undercutting. Don't be dishonest. You still need to be innocent. But be prudent. Many years ago, I was invited to serve on a panel discussion on television. And I was supposed to be the token Christian. And then there was going to be a Muslim and someone from the Jewish faith and maybe a Baha'i. I can't remember all of the different ones. And uh, I called my dad and said, Dad, what do you think about this? And he said, son, I've been there and done that. And usually they set up the token Christian to get massacred. And uh, so I, I declined. I'm not Josh McDowell. And, uh, and so I chose not to be a testimony, try to be a testimony for Jesus in that venue. Because... 
of past experience from those I respected saying that oftentimes that venue is really not what it's set up to be. Sometimes we have to be prudent in our testimony for Jesus. But Jesus has sent us out to be a testimony for him. And he's warned us it's not always easy. But be reminded, I'm with you. You see, when people see Jesus in you, if they don't like Jesus, they're not going to like you. And yet, Jesus gives us these opportunities and he gives us this calling to be his disciples, to be his witnesses as disciples. And with that calling, he promises always to help us. You might be here today and you've got some heavy stuff going on in your life right now. I'd encourage you, we have a prayer room directly behind us here. Spend some time in prayer uh, after the service. One of our leaders here, one of our elders will be back there. You can pray with someone. Or maybe you want to find out more about what it means to be right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. We've got some material back there. You can just ask for and we'll put that into your hands. Father, I thank you for your word and the reminder of your calling upon us to be witnesses for you. And with your calling comes a promise of help. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.